Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast. It's the Sunday nighter here on Talking Tide. Chase Goodbread of NFL.com with you, along with longtime BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer. We're going to be breaking down Alabama's big win over in Atlanta at Mercedes Benz Stadium, 44 to 13. Of course, the final score over the Miami Hurricanes. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other SEC teams in action on the back end of the podcast, as we traditionally do. But first, to tell you a little bit about the podcast, you can find us on any app you prefer or choose to hear your favorite podcast. You can also get us, of course, on YouTube. Search for us, subscribe there. The Twitter feed is talking underscore tide. We link to all our podcasts twice weekly during the football season there. And we definitely want to thank our primary sponsors, Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa uh, and as well North River Dental Associates in Tuscaloosa. We'll be talking about them as usual a bit later in the program. But first, Travis, a big win for Alabama, 44-13, to 13, the final score, a game that Alabama took complete command of pretty darn quickly. And uh, we've seen this pretty routinely when Alabama gets things in hand uh, Nick Saban likes to run the ball and kind of make that fourth quarter disappear as fast as we can, as fast as he can, and that's what we saw. Yeah, you wondered if it might be more of a plotting start for this Alabama offense, given all the replacements that were in play on the offensive line, at the wide receiver positions, at running back, and oh, by the way, at quarterback as well. But no uh, hesitancy for Bill O'Brien. A new offensive coordinator, speaking of newness, and his quarterback, Bryce Young. Thought Bryce Young was exceptional from the start. We had talked about this in previous weeks, kind of the expectation that there wouldn't be this kind of training wheels period for Bryce, that he figured that most, if not all, of the playbook would be open to him. And you know, he showed you some of those skills of being able to maneuver the pocket, use his feet to get himself in position to make throws more so than to just ditch and run. He did convert one-third down in the first half with his feet. That was good to see. But um, he he really helped conceal some blemishes for this team on the offensive side of the ball. You know, an offensive line that really didn't benefit from continuity in the preseason because of injuries, guys out, in and out of the mix, and – even with that, you saw a lineup up front that was pretty interesting with Chris Owens getting to start at right tackle, Darian Dahlcourt to start at center. And um, so, you know, again, they were working uh, against some things in the preseason, but didn't really seem to affect them all that much. They had a little stretch here and there where you know, they, they didn't exactly cash in on opportunities, but they only punted twice in the game, kicked three field goals, and were 10 of 16 on third down. Outstanding for sure. You know, Bryce Young, 344 yards, four touchdowns, uh, hit Cameron Latou, the tight end, for a couple of them in the first half. And, you know, the one thing that stood out to me about Bryce Young, Travis, and we saw this a little bit last year, but as we've discussed, Bryce Young barely played last year, not much action at all. Uh, but one thing that I, that stood out to me is not only his ability to escape, his ability to escape the rush is phenomenal for sure. But I think one of the differences is some guys escape the rush pretty well, but once they get away from that first rusher, they kind of like to trot uh, as they search for their second receiver or whoever downfield they want to hit. Bryce Young, 
he likes to get out of the pocket with a little juice and it's not to tuck it and run. It's because he knows that he's buying himself an extra second to actually set his feet maybe and make a throw without getting hit or without getting it, uh, you know, knocked out of his hand or something. He's, he's got an outstanding sense of the rush around him. He may ultimately leave the pocket more often than Nick Saban wants, but there's no question the guy knows how to make a lot of plays off schedule. Yeah, he's a passer first, you know, when he goes into that mode. He doesn't defer to his legs when the pressure comes. He, as you said, he navigates and tries to position himself to maintain that status as a passer. And I think it helps get guys open at times, too, that otherwise didn't get a lot of separation on their initial routes. Uh, You can tell they've worked on that part of it as well. But you're right. Look. Manny Diaz and that Miami staff brought the heat, a lot of blitzing, uh, a lot of pressure. I think at times it showed up again that Alabama's offensive line maybe hadn't had the time to work together that it would have liked because there were some busts here and there. I think when he was sacked, Bryce Young was sacked, lost the fumble there. Um, You know, that looked to be a bust or two perhaps, but he is. He's one of these guys that can right wrongs with his feet, with his passing ability and um you know Cameron Latou stepping forward as you said at the tight end position with Jalil Billingsley not seeing action for a quarter and a half or so uh first two catches of Cam Latou's careers career goes for touchdowns and you know I thought it was important too to put on tape what Jamison Williams can do in the vertical game it was big in the grand scheme of things of the outcome of the game Saturday but now if you're Florida or some of these teams coming up you know, and you think you might have the same type of idea that Miami had, that's the type of play that'll back you up a little bit in your preparation. Yeah, you hit on a couple of uh, interesting points from the game. Billingsley certainly won, a guy who's been in the doghouse throughout the preseason. And, you know, we're not in Jaleel Billingsley's head here, Travis. However, if an ego check is what he needed, he got it because – you're a guy, you're, you're Jaleel Billingsley. You're on the sideline pretty much the, the first half and you watch the offense dismantle the number 12 team in the country to the tune of 27 to three by halftime. And Oh, by the way, the other tight end catches two touchdown passes. I mean, look, like I said, you know, we're, we're not in Billingsley's head necessarily, but a lot of times these guys, if they're dogging it in practice, which apparently is what was what was going on in the preseason that Saban didn't like, you know, when that happens, a lot of times it's a player trying to leverage his value to the team, right? To make, to, to maybe get treated a little special, get treated a little different. Well, if you're Jalil Billingsley and you paid attention in that first half, you realized real quick that this offense can go with you or without you. I think that was, should have been the message. We'll see. Um, you know, he did get in there in the second quarter or so. We also saw him back deep on a couple of kickoffs as well, carryover from last season in that regard. But, no, I mean, pretty much across this roster uh, in the Nick Saban era, next man up hadn't been all that much of an issue. Now, a couple of years defensively where they got hit in the front seven pretty hard, that was obviously a problem. But uh, it tied in, and also the different – personnel groupings they can go with look I'm sure they would like to go more 12 personnel than they probably even did on Saturday but if Billingsley's not a part of that yet 
then you can still go 11 with the three wide receivers on the field and uh, be very productive. So in the grand scheme of things, this offense, as we know, it's better with Jalil Billingsley engaged and good to go and viable in, in the plan on a weekly basis. But, you know, for a season opener anyway, uh, they did show you're right. They showed to be more than capable without him. Jamison Williams, a big game as well. Four catches. He goes over 100 yards. Alabama took a deep shot at him right out of the gate. And then, of course, later in the game, uh, uh, early in the second half, they hit a deep shot with him, 94 yards for a touchdown. And, you know, that quick sequence, Travis, where Miami was on the doorstep on the Alabama one, they go for it on a fourth and goal. They don't get it. They get stuffed. And then they Alabama turns right around and, and hits Jamison Williams with that uh, outstanding 94-yard touchdown pass that, that thrilled the crowd over in Atlanta. That was absolutely a backbreaker. And if you listen to Manny Diaz and his postgame remarks, it certainly sounded like despite the score at halftime, he felt like his team was hanging in there okay in a lot of ways until that backbreaker of a sequence right there. And, oh, by the way, what in the world? If you're going to run a quarterback sneak, can you not do it from the shotgun? I mean, I know De'Aaron King's a phenomenal athlete and what all, but but my gosh, if the call is a sneak and you're and you're at the one, just go under center, right? Don't give yeah. the defense five yards of space to penetrate. I don't get that. Well, and from hurry up too, that's a big play right there. And I know a lot of offensive coordinators, Lane Kiffin, loves it in that situation and short yardage and goal line. I just – it seems like I see a lot of offenses that do that in Alabama in the recent years get stuffed inside the five because they're more worried about hurrying. And when you do that, you sometimes don't get people identified, I guess you could say, in your blocking scheme. You end up with a free guy and you get stuffed. And uh, But give Will Anderson a lot of credit on that play. I know we're going to get into the defense more, but – he blew that thing up, and I know Henry Toa Toa had an assist on the play, but that pretty much started with Will Anderson blowing up the right edge of that Miami offensive line, and then he combined with Toa Toa for the stop. But no, I'm not a big fan of, as much as anything, and you're right, the shotgun too down there. But, you know, these these uh, backgrounds that a lot of these offensive coordinators come from today, Rhett Lashley, uh, with Gus Malzahn, they're so it, they're shotgun centric. Everything they do, shotgun. I mean, if they take a knee at the end of the game and in, in offense on offense, they have to take a shotgun snap to take a knee. You know, yeah. so um, it's kind of the way the game has evolved. But I think in some ways it's devolved in certain situations. There's no doubt the game has gone to the shotgun. It just remains a head scratcher me for me on the goal line sometimes. Yeah. That uh, but, with tempo or yeah. hurrying, I, I don't. It's a big play, fourth down. Yeah, you know, it, D- they don't Diaz, get a couple of shots at that. Manny Diaz had some comments after he he Manny Diaz thought the spot was slow on the goal line because they were trying to catch Alabama out the of position spot was there. But beneficial to Miami in retrospect, I thought maybe the back was down at the one or a little shy of the one, and yeah. I think it was spotted inside the one. Yeah. So I thought the spot was good for Miami, but you know, I could have been looking at that wrong. I just don't know, Travis, what kind of a subliminal message an offensive staff is sending to its offensive line when on a goal-to-go play from the one, 
you're running tempo. You, you feel like you need to catch somebody out of position to just man up and block for one yard. Well, I don't know if that sends a great message to that and, line. And when you go fast, it, it's it's not just also, and I agree, I, I don't like that either. But, you know, the potential for because you're going so fast, you can't get the front identified. Your offensive line can't be on the same page in terms of who they're trying to block. But also, you're going so fast, here comes a false start. Or you commit a penalty. So instead of fourth and goal from the half-yard line, you're back outside the five now right. because you had to go fast. I, I'm not a fan at all. So they turn around. They get out of the shadow of the goal line with a short run by Brian Robinson. And then the next thing you know, Jamison Williams is standing in the end zone with a 94-yard touchdown pass. Interesting play call from Bill O'Brien for sure. It was a tight formation. That play to Williams, Travis, the ball was spotted on the left hash. Mm -hmm. They had twin receivers to the right, but both of those twin receivers were inside the right hash. So you're almost talking, it's almost like a bunch formation, even though you got a bunch of receivers out there. And if you watch that play, Jamison Williams didn't get his separation from the corner vertically. He got it horizontally. He got yeah. his separation running toward the sideline. And, of course, he makes the catch, and he was able to turn it on from there. Uh, but I guess when you line up tight on, on one side of the field like that, you can create some some separation toward the sideline too. Yeah, and you were able to formation in a way in that I, you probably got the matchup you wanted with Ivy. Uh, the corner there, and that's tough on, you said it, with all of that field to defend against a guy that's a 4-4, sub-4-4 guy like Jamison Williams, uh, that's one that they they had seen something in the offseason and in the lead-up to preparation. They, they had that one ready, you know, for that sort of spot. And, you know, we talk about the offensive line, had some issues here and there, but uh, pretty good protection there too to to really let Bryce cut it loose and um, kind of brought back some memories of the '93 uh, Sugar Bowl, except Jamison Williams wasn't Lamar Thomas, and the <laughs> Miami secondary didn't have a George Teague chasing him. No, no, that's for sure. Uh, that's right. It's the first time the two teams have met since that uh, wild night in New Orleans, uh, and it uh, turned out to be, uh, I guess Miami scored the same number of points in both games, yeah. Alabama 10 more uh, in 21 than they did in that uh, Sugar Bowl following the 1992 season. From an injury standpoint, Travis Christopher Allen has a right foot injury, a big blow for sure to this Alabama defense. Nick Saban intimating that there's a good chance he could be gone for the entire season. Uh, we saw Drew Sanders get some action in his stead. Also saw Chris Braswell in there as well. So a chance for a couple guys without a lot of experience, I guess, to step into a role. But Christopher Allen's a guy who's going to be missed from a pass rush standpoint for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You hate it for him, first and foremost, because he came back to school looking to build on his stock for the NFL. And, you know, that pass rush was exactly what the NFL loves to see. But um, you know, King was a little dinged up on the play too. So you're worried about both those guys, pretty violent sequence right there. And you're right. Drew Sanders came on the second year player, probably more of the typical strong side linebacker. I mean, on early downs, you feel good about him. He can also play in coverage, good athlete, um, you know, and still evolving as a pass rusher, but Braswell, 
you know, as another second year player, he's a guy that I think in dime rabbits with Allen likely out for at least an extended period of time. I can see Chris Braswell taking more steps towards becoming uh, a constant presence in that dime rabbits. And Alabama adjusted a couple of ways to Chris Allen, I thought, and not just in terms of the outside linebackers, but, you know, early they were kind of more four down in the dime and they kept Christian Harris in the game. Toa Toa went to the sideline. After Allen went out, they went more three down with a single defensive lineman on the nose. Uh, they had Will Anderson. They had Drew Sanders or Chris Braswell uh, on the edges. And then they kept Toa Toa and Harris in the inside linebacker position. So, you know, a couple different ways they might look to to move on different packages, different guys. I guess what we're saying here is it's probably going to take multiple guys to fill the roles that Chris Allen held by himself. No doubt. Uh, DeMarco Hellams, the defensive back, was a DMP. Nick Saban said he was questionable during the practice week, so not a surprise to see Hellams not play. Uh, we'll see if he's back to go uh, against the Mercer Bears in week two. Uh, so uh, that And also some shuffling on the offensive line, Travis. We saw not on the left side so much, but on the right side, some some mixing and matching. Chris Owens playing some right tackle, something uh, certainly I didn't expect uh, in, uh, on that offensive line, but you know, on the whole, they certainly performed well. Yeah. You know, you heard Nick Saban talk in the lead up to the game about just availability of their best five being a real issue. Uh, and, and, and again, the, the sort of the immediate future of the game, but I guess when you think about it in retrospect, Chris Owens had probably been around, uh, doll court had been around, Chris Owens has played some tag. He's played all over the place on that offensive line, but I think he even had a start at right tackle uh, a year ago in place of Evan Neal at Arkansas. So had a background there. Um, you know, interesting to see Dahlcourt get the start at center. Thought some of his snaps were a little bit sketchy from time to time. Another area where you give Bryce Young a lot of credit for not only being a good athlete to corral some of those, but maintaining his poise and still getting the plays off in relatively intact fashion. Um, you know, Evan Neal at left tackle was a given. Javion Cohen at left guard. Uh, Mio Echior at right guard. They're going to get better from here. It, it, what's going to be interesting, though, is see, is this the five? Um, you know, or is there still some tinkering or some adjustments that might be made in terms of that first group? We'll flip it over and talk a little bit of defense now, Travis. I guess uh, the the defense of De'Eric King was the talk going into the game. Is this guy, you know, De'Eric King needed to be the best player on the field for Miami to stay in that game. He was not. He is a heck of an athlete. Uh, but this Alabama defense did a heck of a job containing him. Uh, he hit some plays, certainly in the third quarter. Uh, you saw flashes of life from that Miami uh, passing game, but they really never got any running game going to speak of less than a hundred yards on the ground for the hurricanes. And, you know, the linebacking core at Alabama that we've talked about, uh, lived up to the billing certainly against UM. It did. And the depth showed up because it had to, you know, I talked about this on BOL after the game and elsewhere. I mean, Atlanta, Mercedes Benz stadium, season openers against ACC competition. Go back to 2017, Alabama lost a couple of guys, Christian Miller, Terrell Lewis. Um, 
you know, in that game against Florida State. And then here you are again dealing with some issues. It was good to hear that Henry Toa Toa should be okay from the elbow injury he sustained. But you saw Jalen Moody one more time, man. When the guy gets a chance to play, good things happen, and he records an interception. Uh, there really isn't much of a drop-off in terms of ability, I don't think, with Moody in the game. I know they love Toa Toa's communication skills and some of that that he brings to the table, but it's good to see Moody get a shot. You didn't like the circumstances. Uh, Christian Harris, a, a really strong game, couple tackles for loss, and of course that linebacker level. It's it really is Will Anderson at this point, and kind of everybody else at that spot in all of college football. Nine tackles, a sack, um, just a real problem throughout the game. I thought Phil Math has played really well on the inside of that defensive line too, and and I probably owe him a shout out because I've not, you know, in the. Coming into this year, my perception of Phil Mathis was he was pretty much a, a, a space filler and a good one, uh, but not necessarily a playmaker. Uh, but he 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 got into the action a little bit more, I thought, for Alabama than maybe we've seen in in years past. A big kid, he's played a lot of football at Alabama for sure, uh, and he's always had a motor. Uh, but I I thought I, I thought he played his best game at Alabama against Miami. He did. He played well. Uh, recovered the fumble on the Christopher Allen strip sack. Um, so just a really, really good start for Phil and really the defensive line in general. I know statistically you look at it, uh, you don't see much that that makes your eyes pop out looking at the stat sheet, but they were problematic enough that they were able to free up Toa Toa and Christian Harris and um, with what Will Anderson and Christopher Allen were able to sort of set the tone with on the edge. Uh, they were plenty good enough. Talking Tide podcast coming at you on the Pigskin Podcast Network. You can get us on YouTube. You can get us on uh, all of the apps, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you want to find us. The Twitter feed, Talking Underscore Tide. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors uh, right now. We're going to start by telling you a little bit about North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley, located conveniently off of Watermelon Road in Tuscaloosa. As you're headed toward Northport on McFarland Boulevard, you make that easy right turn onto Watermelon, and he's right there in Fairfax Park. It's on your right next to West Alabama Pediatrics, and they will take care of whatever dental issues you might have at North River Dental. Dr. Jack's got a fantastic staff of dental hygienists. I was just in there the other day dropping off dropping off a little pizza for the staff, Travis, uh, over at North River. They, uh, they definitely appreciate that. Um, they're going to get you in and out. By the way, there's never, there was, I walked in there with the pizza, not, not any more than two people in the waiting room. There's never any more than two people in the weight room because what Dr. Jack does is he's, he'll, he'll go ahead and spread out those appointments the way healthcare professionals should, right? So you can get people <laughs> in and out relatively quickly. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of healthcare professionals, they'll jam that waiting room up and, and uh, herd people uh, and bottleneck it and get as many people in as they possibly can. Dr. Jack's not going to make you wait an hour in that locker room. He's going to have you out the door in an hour or less on a routine cleaning. And of course, if you need dental care of a higher level, whether it's uh, laser dentistry, maybe teeth whitening services, whether it's oral surgery, they can do it all. It's North River Dental Associates. Give them a call at 752-3506. 
Yeah, you know, and also what I've experienced with Dr. Jack and North River Dental Associates is when I've needed emergency attention, they've been able to make it happen as well. So you're absolutely correct in terms of appointments and how they sort of maintain that in a first class fashion, no doubt about it. But also having been in a position where needed attention pretty quickly, Jack and those folks were outstanding. No doubt about it. We're going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolates here, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. You've got the first Alabama home game of the 2021 season coming up this Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And no pregame, no tailgate, no spread, even if you're just staying at home, is complete without Peterbrook Chocolates here. And I know you hear that and you say, well, Travis, they're located in Tuscaloosa. They are. However, you can have Peterbrook Chocolatier shipped anywhere. Give them a call, 205-752-0211. They ship, well, like I said, wherever you want it to go, they can send chocolate for you. Of course, you can swing by the store. So many great items from which to choose. They got the chocolate footballs this time of year, good bread, those real-sized, actual-sized chocolate footballs that are inflated with that signature chocolate popcorn from Peterbrook Chocolatier. Great, great stuff. Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. All right, the Talking Tide podcast moving on. We're going to bounce around a couple other games in the SEC from week one. Of course, the the SEC on SEC action has not yet cranked up, Travis, but a couple of big opening games uh, for a couple of SEC teams. We'll focus on two of them, I think, Georgia and LSU. Those were the ones that, that uh, took on uh, took on name brands, I guess you could say. The Georgia game ends up a, a low-scoring affair. The Bulldogs pull it off. Seven sacks for that Georgia defense against Clemson Travis. And by the way, that Clemson offensive line, it's not like they had a mm-hmm. lot of turnover. That was an experienced Clemson line of four starters returning, if I'm not mistaken. And Georgia not only ate them up with in pass protection, but but ate them up on the ground too. Clemson just couldn't move the ball. Talking to some family friends and things like that about the games from Saturday night, and uh, one of the, the 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 family members made the point. You know, watching that game with Clemson and the offense struggle like it did, they may have missed Travis Etienne as much or more than they missed Trevor Lawrence in that game because they really didn't have a solid threat in the run game. Their backs were not good in picking up protections and blitzes and things like that. Um, So it was a miserable night for the Clemson offense. And you give the Georgia defense all the credit in the world. That said, it seems like Georgia winning the game has glossed over the performance of the Georgia offense, which didn't score a touchdown either. You know, yeah. Georgia's only touchdown in the game came on a pick six. Um, and again, credit to Clemson, pretty experienced team in a lot of ways. Still was without one of its better players in the front seven on Saturday night. But, you know, I still have concerns, I guess you could say, about this Georgia offense in terms of its explosiveness or its ability to produce explosive plays. And, um, you know, the thing about JT Daniels, nice quarterback if you can protect him. Nice quarterback if guys can get open, but if things start to break down, this isn't Bryce Young. And so he's not going to extend plays. 
So I think, you know, that's the thing we need to temper our expectations maybe with, uh, with JT about is that uh, if he doesn't have the right play call, he doesn't have protection, um, he can have his struggles as well. How bad does this Georgia offense miss George Pickens? I mean, you I talk think, about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think in some ways Pickens is a little bit limited, but he reminds me a lot of Laquan Treadwell when Treadwell was at Ole Miss. If nothing else, you could throw that back shoulder against man coverage into the boundary and he right. go get it. That was right. Laquan Treadwell. Now, that didn't really translate into a lengthy NFL career to date or a prosperous NFL career for Laquan Treadwell, but it was hell at Ole Miss. And so Pickens could definitely add that. And that's that's big in the college game because that's first downs. That's maintaining possessions. And, you know, they don't really have that right now. I mean, they basically featured a true freshman tight end who I'd never heard of before Saturday night from Napa Valley, California, which good for that. You know, it's awesome. Um, but I will say this for Georgia. I sort of challenged Georgia last week in that if the dogs found themselves in a position of control later in the game, would they be able to run the ball enough? They didn't run it for 250 yards or anything like that, but I thought they got better as the game went on and, and good enough at least to finish that game. Yeah, Zamir White was, uh, I think he had 12 or 13 carries more than any other back for the Bulldogs. They didn't run it great, but they ran it a lot better than Clemson. Clemson didn't run it at all. No. Clemson had two rushing yards all night long. Uh, but like you said, JT Daniels, um, pedestrian at best. He was 22 out of 30, which from a completion percentage standpoint is, is, is fine. It's good. But for 135 yards, that's four and a half yards per attempt. So Bryce Young uh, doubled that. Yeah, Bryce Young yeah. was nine. Now, a little better defense that JT Daniels was probably going against, but still, I think you also understand that in looking at JT Daniels and Bryce Young, again, that ability to extend plays and you know cause defenses to break down, um, not as much of that at all with JT. UCLA 38, Travis, LSU 27. Yeah. If I hadn't told you that final score and all I said, and you didn't see this game, you didn't know the score, but all I told you, Travis, was one team was going to rush 47 for 210. The other team was going to rush 25 for 49. Who would you have thought would have gotten it done on the ground? I know I would have expected. Yeah. Or how it should have been. Uh, the mighty rough and tough LSU Tigers with all that talent, with that returning offensive line, with those star-studded backs that we're still waiting to see it from two or three years into their respective stints uh, in the program. And really what it came down to for LSU, best I could tell, was Max Johnson, Kayshawn Booty. That's what was going to have to get it done for LSU. And I think UCLA is fairly legit. I really do. I, I mean, especially by Pac-12 standards. So this isn't to slight UCLA. I think they got a really nice team right now anyway. And so, but no, it's, is there a bigger kick to the groin than a Chip Kelly yeah. offense lining up with multiple tight ends and pounding the rock against that LSU defense in the second half? That, 
that was as galling as anything you could take from that game. And now you obviously start to wonder what the shelf life is for Coach O. Is it to get through the season? Um, I, the, the vibe's already bad. The vibe was bad going into the game with everything off the field. But you start getting beat in some games like this the way they did. Um, makes you wonder if he can get through the season even. The capital gained from a national championship ought to extend beyond <laughs> a season and a half. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's best one of maybe the best college football team I've ever seen, or certainly one of them in 2019. And here we are one game into 2021 and that national championship seems like yeah. a decade ago. Trey. Yeah. I think that capital for, O was Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah. cyber funny Oof. money. Yeah, it was, I don't know how real the capital was. Yeah, I think I think Odell Beckham on the field after that win uh, over Clemson in the national championship game that, that might have been the extent of the cash or the capital following yeah. that uh, that that national title. LSU definitely looking like they've got a whole lot of work to do on the Bayou under Ed Orgeron, no doubt about it. That's going to do it for this edition of. The Talking Tide podcast. Great to be here with our listeners once again. Join us midweek. We'll take a look at that Alabama game against the Mercer Bears for week two and plenty more. So for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television on WVUA. We'll catch you next time here on Talking Tide.